from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. Want to thank you for joining us on AutoLine this week, where the conversation is all going to be about using social media for corporate communications. Not for advertising, not for marketing, but for communication. And to get to the bottom of what that's all about, I've got three experts in that, including Ed Garston from Chrysler, Mary Hennigy from General Motors, and Scott Monty from the Ford Motor Company. Great having you all here. Hey, John. Thanks, John. Scott, let me start with you. I, I, I got to believe it was quite the transformation for corporate America to start embracing social media. How, how did you see this transformation take place? Well, you know, I've been uh, kind of at this for a while, John. I was at it before I got to Ford, actually, uh, making a practice of it in the agency I was at. Just experimenting, looking at the trends, what consumers were doing, uh, you know, what the opportunities were in front of us. And as it became, you know, as the, obviously as the internet uh, became more important, social media came right on the back of that. And the ability for consumers to actually have a voice and to speak back to the brand in addition to being spoken to, I think that's what really opened it all up. And, you know, I think we always remind ourselves at Ford that just like our grandmothers told us, you know, you have two ears and one mouth. Use them in that proportion. And I think social media allows us the same power to listen more than we actually talk. That informs our product cadence. It informs our communications. It helps us become a better company. Mary, did you see a big transition as social media became available? Well, GM started the first blog for a corporation back in 19, I'm sorry, 2005 with the Fastlane blog when Bob Lutz was working on it. And so we've been sort of working in this area for a while. But I think that really with the growth of Facebook and with Twitter, you can get more people involved. And I think really it kind of took off at that point. It's just really a way, as Scott had said, to interact with consumers, to get input from people and to really help to tell stories because people love this industry and they want to know our stories. You know that. I mean, you make a career out of it. That's right. <laughs> Ed, I'm curious how it went at Chrysler and especially now that Fiat has come in, uh, you know, a lot of European management at the company. How do they see all this? They, they totally get it. They totally understand that social media is a way for a two-way pipeline uh, between the company and the consumers. Um, they love they love to talk, <laughs> and we love to talk back, and we have a great conversation. Uh, it's been especially helpful uh, with customer service where people feel important. They feel that, you know, in the past when you'd write a letter to the CEO or whatever and say, oh, that's going to go to the dead letter office. Uh, it, there's no dead letter office in social media, and when you answer them and they go, Oh, wait a minute, is this really the real Chrysler or is this, you know, Al Chrysler from, you know, from Chicago? And you go, no, no, it's a real Chrysler. And, uh, and they're just blown away by it. So uh, thankfully, uh, once Fiat folks came in, they totally embraced it and they've given us a, a tremendous amount of latitude to work with it. Scott, you mentioned uh, you love having, or certainly consumers love having a voice back into the, the company. But as you know, some of them are flamers, trolls, whatever. They, they just spew nasty stuff. Uh, some are just very misguided, however intentionally well they want to be. S some can be nuggets, gold mine of information. How do you sift through it all? Well, it's tough, uh, uh, John, because, I mean, look, it, it, when, when you're listening, it, it pulls everything in. And you need to have, th this is an art just as much as it is a science, and you need to have the, the judgment and the um, just the business acuity to understand where you're going to pick a fight, where you're going to help educate, where you're going to tell stories, where you're going to tap other people to do that on your behalf. 
um, because that's actually an additional form of credibility is because people don't trust companies as much as they used to. You look at what's going on with the government right now, whether it's the NSA, the CIA, the IRS, I mean, you name it, um, trust is down in governments and big corporations. But people trust people like them, okay? And we've, done, we've been able to do things like through the Fiesta movement to tap into 100 individuals and let them tell our story around our B car. Um, or to tap individuals, subject matter experts within Ford who can be the face of Ford and who can help represent that. And as long as we get consumers to relate to that person and not to vilify the corporation, I think that, that humanizing aspect of social is so important and it really helps us kind of wade through some of those uh, delicate conversations. Mary, I gotta believe that that's all fantastic and true, but wow, what an extra a boatload of work to do to handle so much information coming in from customers. Well, we thankfully have a good customer assistance team in social media. In the fall of 2009, we started with four people, moved from the phones right onto uh, the web. But it's a team now, right at the Renaissance Center, GM employees, college educated, professionally trained, of 20 people looking at all of the channels that we have for sort of like the incomings. And really, they besides looking at all the GM and brand channels, they have actually asked permission and they're working in 96 forums. And these aren't our forums, so it could be cruise owners, Corvette owners, and they're there to answer questions. And sometimes it's a technology question where somebody just doesn't quite understand how to work something. And you can really instill loyalty and you can save relationships. When somebody's out there and they say they have a problem, you have a chance to turn them around. It's the ones who don't come to our channels that you might have lost. And so as far as trolls and people spewing bad stuff, there's going to be a, a contingency of people who are gonna do that. Frankly, I think they're probably whiny when they're five and they grew up and <laughs> their parents never knocked it out of them. But you can't change everyone and not everyone's gonna like you and so you have to kind of get over that. But the community, really comes to the company's defense. And we see that time and time again. If you even just wait five minutes, somebody else comes in and corrects it. And, and sometimes somebody really does have a problem and allows us to go in. And then they're wowed by the fact that we've solved their problems, we've turned it around. And then you've got a voice out there. But importantly, it's a happy consumer. So it's, it's been fascinating to watch. And, and you know, I think one of the uh, other things that's changing the game right now is everybody talks about big data. You know, it's one of those oft-used phrases. I don't know if it's really widely understood. Um, but through, through all of these social conversations, you know, the trolls, you know, everything you get out there, we're able to take this in and use analytics to mine exactly what's important because it's really easy to have a knee-jerk response to an individual or two individuals. I mean, we've seen this in the past couple of weeks with other corporate entities like Kellogg's in the UK. They pulled a tweet. They, they wanted people to retweet something to help feed undernourished kids. And they were gonna, for every retweet they got, they were going to donate a breakfast to a kid. And people thought it was extortion. How dare you say that you're not going to give breakfast to children unless we retweet it? And it wasn't that at all. It was, it was something to amplify their corporate social responsibility, which was already in place. But they yanked the tweet because a few misguided individuals decided to make a stink about it. Well, if we're using social data and big data, that'll help determine which of these conversations are relatively important and, and the ones that we really need to get ahead of. Who are the influencers there? You know, and, and what's really interesting now is as you've got customer service, uh, and GM's got a great team, we've got a great team, as you've got marketing, as you've got communications, all working their social channels, how these come together and how you pass off from one to the other so that when maybe a major influencer like John McElroy tweets a problem with his vehicle, 
the, the customer service team knows that it's the John McElroy, right, and gives him the level of customer service that he would warrant because of his uh, public persona, right? So trading uh, data inside the company between the entities is absolutely important to us now, and it goes well beyond what corporate communications used to be in charge of. Ed, you must see a tremendous change taking place then uh, with what Mary and Scott are talking about here of having to build up staff, having to work with different entities within the company. Right. Well, it's, it's something that uh, we have a relatively small team uh, with a big job, uh, but we're on it all the time. We're on it 24-7, believe it or not. We're on there all the time uh, looking to see what people are saying about the company. Uh, one of the things that... Uh, people have to think about when companies get into social media is, is, is how thick a skin you're going to have. And a lot of companies are, are too reactive when they see somebody that's, that's unhappy. Uh, and uh, Mary, I totally agree with you about the community coming to the defense. You know, if you wait long enough, you've got friends out there and they will take care of you. Uh, but yeah, it's become a, a tremendous job for us, but it's one of the most satisfying jobs because uh, I don't know how many times when somebody was dissatisfied, you turned them around and I remember somebody saying, oh, I'll never, I'll never buy a Chrysler vehicle again, it's the worst. And then you, you go to work and you put them together with the right people and you work really hard for them. And we're very earnest about it. And then we say, okay, well, if you're happy, could you say that too? And then, they, <laughs> and then they, they, they come back on and go, you know what? They turned me around. I wasn't going to ever buy a Jeep or a Chrysler or whatever again. Uh, but now they won me for life because I didn't honestly think a big company cared about me. I thought they only cared about my money, but they care about me as a person. And, you know, that's the, the common currency of, of social media is, is the person. Mm -hmm. And if you can prove that uh, company is made out of people, right? Well, I mean, the company's a name, but a company is essentially people, and we're working for people out in the marketplace. And if you make that connection successfully, uh, it, it really, really does work for you. And sure, it's, it's a lot of work, but it's important work, and it's probably the most important work that we do. Mary, you mentioned that you had originally, GM had originally started a blog with Bob Lutz, mm -hmm. since retired. Uh, Mark Royce pulled his Facebook account. What I'm getting at is, how do you work with executives who may want to get their message out there? That's got to be, I am sure, a handful for the communication staff. Well, we don't require anybody to be out there if they don't want to. It's really a personal decision, and then we just want to make sure they understand that they need to be transparent. They need to identify their relationships with the company, so you know if you're a Chevrolet Volt engineer, you're speaking as really a subject matter expert with the Volt. At the same time, we have so many employees and people are people and we have opinions on other things. So really it's just making sure they understand and then also really educating them about the different channels and, and what they're used for and how they can amplify our messages. I mean, internally we have uh, called Overdrive and that's our social networking uh, platform. It's on SocialCast and there's more than 50,000 employees in the company who are on who get to answer each other's questions. We have executive town halls. In fact, uh, Mark Royce is one of several leaders who will pop on. And if there's, heaven forbid, something wrong in the news media that day, he's able to go and kind of stop that myth and say, no, here's really the background. Here's why we did that, or here's why we didn't. So don't believe everything you read, necessarily. Of course, your show, I'm sure. Perfect. <laughs> uh, but, it, but these are really great tools. And so, and there's different ways you can have a presence in social media by just sort of telling your stories through video that's so important, through a blog post. It's, it's, it's an article, really. It just happens to be on the web, and people can share it. So I think that... Um, 
I wouldn't really see it as a challenge. It's just, it's kind of like the media relations job you already had. And if you're speaking on behalf of the company, you know what you should and shouldn't say. You know what your messages are. But it's the immediacy that the message yes. can get out by. Scott, what kind of guidance do you give executives at Ford who may want to use social media? Well, we've had social media guidelines in place since uh, late 2009 to all employees, uh, much like Mary said. Um, and we simply uh, remind people that this is simply a new medium. Same rules, same messaging, all that applies. This is simply a new way of doing it. And quite frankly, uh, we have lots of executives at the highest level at Ford who are really interested in social. I'll never forget the time uh, I helped Alan Mulally tweet for the first time. Uh, I was new to Ford. I was at a uh, media reception in December in the preview to uh, NIAS. And, uh, you know, all the members of the media were there. And in walked Bill Ford and Alan Mulally. And I had a pretty healthy Twitter following at the time, so I was tweeting, oh my God, OMG, right? <laughs> uh, Bill Ford and I, Alan Mulally just walked in. I was kind of live tweeting the event for, uh, for people that were interested. And then somebody said, would Alan take questions via Twitter? And I go, that's a great idea. Why don't I ask him? And I go up to him and I said, hey, Alan, would you like to take some questions via Twitter? And Alan goes, yeah. What's Twitter? <laughs> so gung-ho. And I explained to him, he goes, oh, that's fantastic. You mean we're talking directly to all the people? I said, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do it. And uh, he, he went through five questions really quick like that. And, you know, it didn't matter what the medium was. It didn't matter if he understood the platform. He had the, uh, just the, the, the culture built within him. He had the desire. He wanted to, to engage with people. And we find so many of our executives have that. And we look at each one of them and we say, well, what's the most appropriate place for each one of them if, if they need some guidance? You know, certainly they have private accounts, um, but, you know, uh, looking at our CFO, you know, uh, do we have an account for him on StockTwits or on LinkedIn, for example, some of the more professional networks? Um, or looking at more of maybe a soft-spoken engineer. Maybe he's a, a great guy to do a live chat embedded in a blog or a Twitter chat. Or looking at one of our most dynamic individuals like Alan or like Joe Henricks and putting them on video, right? So, so matching the medium to the personality in addition to helping coach them with how to just have, have these naturally uh, engaging conversations. Add any of your ideas. How do you control executives as they get involved? <laughs> control in executives. Yeah, right. That's another. Uh, where, where make sure they stay on message. Yeah, more on find, find out what they like to drink when they're on the air. Cop, not drink, drink coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Iced tea, whatever. The, yeah. It seems to me drinks really comforts people. I don't know. But, uh, you know, we tell them this. I said, what, don't be afraid of this. You're just talking. And, you know, you think about what's the one thing that really bugs them, okay, is that they say, well, when I say something, the media just, they use a little soundbite or a quote, and they take me out of context. And you say, well, guess what? You're going to talk one-on-one, -on -one and you're unfiltered. You can say whatever the heck you want, and no one's going to edit you. And now you can get your complete message out. And not only can you get your message out, but these are people that have never heard you speak in total before, right? They've only seen quotes and sound bites. They've never seen you in a full context before. And you're making a one-on-one -on -one contact with them, which is unbelievable to think that somebody could talk to, uh, you know, the CEO of Chrysler General Motors of Ford and go, well, little old me in, you know, in Iowa, and I'm going to talk to somebody like that, and they really care what I think. Uh, so if you can get it in their head that you're making, uh, you know, a direct connection with somebody that cares about the company and, quite honestly, is a customer or a prospective customer, uh, that, that can usually turn them around. 
Very interesting. So does this allow corporations to go around, pull an end run around the media, Mary? You see so many really new events uh, that are streamed uh, on the web where anybody can tune in and watch it. You know, in these things that Ed's talking about, too, it, it seems like it's easier for corporations to get their message directly to consumers. It is. I mean, I think there's definitely, I don't want the journalistic world to go away. There's such um, a need, I think, for thoughtful analysis. And so at the same time, we can, we can go straight to consumers and tell our story. And all the research says that when somebody's trying to decide whether they want to work for a company or buy a certain vehicle, they're going to go to the company's website. They're going to go to third parties and to their friends and to other analysis. So we need to be there as that voice telling our story direct. Um, at the same time, there's a lot to be said for when you get the trend stories with the media. And I think that's the biggest challenge right now is it's not an or mentality, it's an and. Mm -hmm. You know, all of this stuff is additive. And then, you know, the next big social channel that comes out, you know, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Vine, Instagram. I mean, you know, the, the alphabet soup goes on and we have to figure out where we're going to be and where it's important for consumers that we are. It doesn't matter whether we think it's important, it's where consumers actually think it's important. And yet, we still have to do all the great things that we've been doing with traditional advertising and with members of the media and all of the rest. So it, it's a much more complex environment now than it ever has been before. If, if I could add, I remember, so when I worked at CNN, we do our coverage of the auto show, say, right? And I'd pick, you know, to do a package at the end of the day. What was I going to lead the package with, right? The best, the best reveal or the best picture and maybe five cars, got in the story and that's all the consumer could see and now you know we go out and webcast entire reveals uh, do interactive programming Q&A's after the auto shows on the press days so the press days aren't really press days anymore they're people days mm -hmm. and you're allowing the public in behind a curtain they never ever had access to and the amount that they appreciated is unbelievable because they're getting to see everything they're not just seeing this little snippet and this little snippet this little snippet you're giving them a privilege they feel that that's a privilege and and why not you've got the capability and what are you hiding from them why why wouldn't you want them to know the whole story anyway uh, and so that's one of the wonderful things about social media is that you can show them the whole thing and they could, if they have a question, they could ask you about it and you can tell them uh, and they're not just seeing a little minute and a half uh, piece on, uh, on the TV or a little story in the, in the paper or magazine. And then they retell the stories. Right, exactly. In their own words. Mm -hmm. I mean, a couple uh, Detroit All Shows ago, we brought some of our Facebook fans mm -hmm. and it was amazing to see the show through their eyes. Yeah. It was like celebrating a holiday with, mm. with your family. And yeah. it's like you remember what really jazz is about this industry and how excited they were mm -hmm. to, to meet GM executives who are like to them, yeah. they're rock stars because they, they had such passion around the Camaros and mm -hmm. Corvettes. Does this diminish the role of the, the media then? I don't think it does. I think there's, it, it is an and. I think that, um, I mean, we're not going to, we can't bring in a million people to the show for media days. You still need to, like, have media days and to have people review vehicles who know what they're looking for. At the same time, I mean, letting influencers and bloggers drive our vehicles to see how it works in their lifestyle is really an effective way to tell those stories, too. 
And look, I think people look at certain members of the media, certain publications as definitive. Um, you know, not only do they go to uh, OEM sites for their information, but they look to their trusted sources of information. And, you know, look, I could go to the Apple store and try out uh, the next iPhone, but, you know, I might want to know what Walt Mossberg thinks about it before I actually go make the purchase, because to me, he's one of the, the foremost experts in the tech field. And, you know, there's thousands of people like that in any kind of verticals. And I think one of the things we've learned at Ford is that yes, it's absolutely essential for us to uh, keep dealing with members of the, uh, the, the press as we have. It's equally as important for us to go to our Facebook fans and our advocates and all the people who naturally follow Ford, but it's also important for us to go to spaces where we haven't been before, where people wouldn't expect to find Ford. It's the reason we were at CES some um, five years ago giving a keynote speech. It's the reason we're, we're, we're showing up at lots of different places and quite frankly in social. This is really interesting because we don't have to stay within the automotive sub-segment sub of social. We can actually branch out to tech bloggers and green bloggers and mom bloggers and, you know, the, the list goes on and on and on. So for us, it's really about diversification of relationship building, not just with members of the media. How effective is all this? I mean, you, you can cite anecdotal evidence that you were able to turn somebody around who, who hated Chrysler to loving right. them, but when you stand back and look at it all and, and the amount of resources, people, and effort that you're putting into it, what, what's the ROI? What's the return uh, on the investment? ROI question? <laughs> I wondered how long it was going to be yeah. before we got to that. Uh, well, two things. One, I'll give you my glib point, which is, you know, people, I think, put social media under unfair scrutiny when it comes to ROI. We don't do that about press releases. We don't ask what the ROI of a press release is. Or, John, what's the ROI of the telephone on your desk, right? That's an important tool in building relationships. What's the ROI of your email account. What's the ROI of putting pants on every day, right? It's a lot, I'll tell you yes, that. Right? It's important that you do In it. In my business, yeah, it's right? a lot. Yeah. Negative consequences if you don't, right? So there's, there's a, a case to be built there. But frankly, at Ford, we've been seeing the growth, particularly from millennials and interest in our car. The, the Fiesta alone has seen an 80% growth in 18 to 34-year-olds actually purchasing the vehicle, and that's due in direct, uh, it's due directly to the Fiesta movement and lots of the social efforts we put, particularly around those millennial-based uh, cars. Um, anecdotally, it's, we're always going to uh, bring stuff in, but as big data, of course, becomes more prevalent, we're going to be able to prove this more. As we continue to fine-tune our relationship with Facebook and we can actually have mobile offers, location-based offers that actually tie to our dealerships, that's where the magic is really going to start to happen. So we're going to see this whole space really uh, begin to evolve even more over the next two to three years, I think. And it's not like it, it's all these resources. It's, it's redirecting the work you used to do. I mean, because the whole media has changed in how you tell stories. And so if you're taking people off the phones to go to the web for customer assistance, you're still doing customer assistance. Uh, we're still doing corporate communications. Marketers are still marketing. You're just using the tools and the channels that you have. And I really have two answers on that. One, in a general sense, um, social media is just another tool in the box. And when people ask me, you know, what are you getting out of it? I say, you know what, whatever the company's doing in aggregate, if it's working, if you're successful, then I look at that, that tool must have contributed in some way. In a more specific sense, we tried something a few years ago where we sold a special edition of the Jeep Wrangler, the Islander, and didn't use anything but Twitter, nothing. There were 5,000 units for sale. We used nothing but Twitter. Uh, we ran a, a contest. It was a rather involved contest, but that was the only single platform that we promoted 
the Jeep Wrangler Islander on and sold all 5,000 within a few weeks. <laughs> so if you're wondering, does it work? Sure, it works. You just have to use it right. It works. Yeah. <laughs> Looking out from this point on, where do you all see this going? Is there something that we should be aware of, on the lookout for? What's your ideas of how this is going to evolve? I think video is really important. This whole visual storytelling and, and more and more, you can even see it happening. It's, it's how you tell stories and what people want to be able to see. And it's, I think it's just going to continue to expand within companies, with employee advocates and with people telling stories this way. I think you need to look at all these new channels. I mean, there's always a new channel, but then you have to decide, how am I going to feed that channel? And is that the right channel for my brand? If you're, whether you're a parent brand or your divisional brand like Chevrolet. And I think that, uh, you know, we started, um, gosh, seven years ago with, uh, before the term corporate or brand journalism was even coined, uh, we were using corporate journalism internally. Uh, and, and storytelling, definitely, I totally agree with Mary in that this is what people want. They want stories, not just stories told to them, not the old sort of video news release type of uh, videos where stations would cannibalize it for, for elements. They want fully contained stories that they can not only watch but that they can share and we encourage them to share it uh, and use that and that's why I mean it, we've we have increased our video capabilities of five six hundred percent in the last few years building a TV studio edit rooms buying gear hiring those types of people not PR people but video people who are storytellers and we, we, we use the little catchphrase that we're not story sellers anymore in the traditional PR sense but we're storytellers and that's what people want and, and above all, make it something that people can watch and take with them on mobile devices, because that's where people are watching things. You know, in 1996, Bill Gates famously said that content is king. Mm -hmm. And I think we're victims of that now. Uh, there is no lack of content out there, whether it's great uh, brand storytelling, whether it's visual stories. Uh, I, I agree with my colleagues that this is uh, the, the wave of the future. But when you consider, you know, the two things that I lead every presentation with is that th there's a lack of trust, and we addressed that earlier in uh, the segment here, but there's also a lack of attention. You know, we live in a 140-character society, and the reason visual storytelling works is because now when you're at the supermarket checkout line, you're not looking at the National Enquirer headlines. You're flipping through your phone, right, and you're looking, the, the, the visualizations are what arrest your attention. So when you've got a lack of trust and a lack of attention, what are we going to do to actually bring people back and to help them actually get interested? Visual is important, great storytelling is important, but I think more importantly, and using technology and data to help us get there, personalization. How we actually take those stories, take those visuals, and make it relevant to the person in charge. We're all excited about the stuff that's going on at Ford, absolutely. But what does Joe American or Mary American care about us? How do we make it relevant to them, their lifestyle, and their challenges? That's going to be the future. And with that, we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, Ed Garston, Mary Hennigy, Scott Monty, I want to thank you all for coming in and talking social media. I want to thank all of you for having tuned in and watched it.